Does your school celebrate Juneteenth in a substantive way? Or does your school even celebrate Juneteenth at all? If you've answered no to any of these questions, then you are in the right place. Hi, I'm Dr. Terrence L. Green. I'm a tenure professor, and I've helped to prepare hundreds of racially just and anti-racist school leaders, and I want to help you. That's why I created this podcast to provide you and your team with real-world insights and practices that work so that you can collectively build racially just schools. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about three substantive and very practical ways that your school can celebrate Juneteenth all year round. Before we get into today's episode, I want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by www.raciallyjustschools.com. And when you join our community today, I will send you a free video on how to make your racial justice work better. I'm excited about you joining the community, and I look forward to meeting you. And if you're ready to get into today's episode, we will in one second. But first, I have a special announcer that's going to get us started. Welcome to the Racial Justice Podcast with your host, Dr. Terrence Elgrade. He's my daddy, and he's the best ever. Let's go! You're listening to the Racially Just Schools Podcast, the show that provides resources to help you and your team build racially just schools. Now, here's your host, Dr. Terrence L. Green. Welcome to the Racially Just Schools Podcast. My name is Terrence L. Green, and I am your host. And yo, as always, I am super excited, elated, and I'm just happy that you have decided to spend your precious time here with me on today's episode of the Racially Just Schools Podcast. Now, on today, I'm excited because we're going to be talking about something that is super important and I think is going to you know, really help a lot of the work that we're doing in schools and districts. And today, we're going to be talking about how your school can practically and substitute celebrate Juneteenth year round. So it's not just like this one off, just this thing we just do. We got a day off on that Monday in, in June, but it's something that really carries through and it's a through line that can connect to the racial justice work that your school is doing. So I'm super excited about this three very uh, substantive and very practical ways that you can begin doing today, tomorrow in your school, in your district to celebrate Juneteenth all year round. So let's hop right into it. To begin, I want to just talk a little bit about like what Juneteenth is, why it's important and how it came about. So in uh, June of 2021, uh, President Joe Biden signed legislation uh, that officially made Juneteenth a federal holiday. Now, Juneteenth, that actual name is a combination of of two words or two ideas, uh, June and 19th, which June 19th is super important because it literally commemorates uh, the emancipation of enslaved Africans in Galveston, Texas. So on June 19th, 1865, uh, Union Army General uh, Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, uh, and he announced the General Order Number Three, which uh, proclaimed that enslaved Africans, Black folks, have been liberated and free from chattel slavery. Now, the interesting thing here is that that announcement of, of General Order Number Three came more than two years after uh, Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation. But you know, there's debate over this because I, I, the, the the narrative has typically been like you know the black folks in Galveston they didn't know about it and so uh, because they didn't know about it they were still under this enslavement and I read something recently 
uh, from some black folks in Texas saying like the black folks in Texas knew that they had been freed from it. They just didn't have the 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 power of the state backing them to enforce general order number three right and so they had known that they were uh you know freed and been had and been emancipated from this but they didn't have the force to make sure that this came to reality whether they knew it or not the the idea of juneteenth is the to to remember is to commemorate it is to celebrate the um the emancipation, the the freedom from enslavement, chattel slavery, physical slavery um, that black folks experienced, particularly in Galveston, Texas. Now, the the interesting thing here is that, you know, when President Biden signed this into law in June of 2021, and even by the time of this current recording, um, this this making June 19th a federal holiday comes within the context and in the midst where states are passing policies to ban the so-called use of critical race theory, where uh, states are passing laws to stop any diversity, equity and inclusion offices and any, uh, you know, inclusion of diversity statements or equity statements and how people are hired or the admissions into universities. This all comes in the same time where there still continues to be like mass shootings in schools. And so when you think about a holiday like Juneteenth um, reaching national prominence, on the one hand, there is some celebratory sensibilities and, and excitement that folks have about it. Yes. And then on the other hand, there are questions, right? There, there are questions about the authenticity of it, the substance of it. And does it just become something that is symbolic, right? We start to think about these, this continuum and this tension of something being symbolic and something being substantive. And one can make the argument that, yes, on a symbolic level, Juneteenth is super important, but there's more left to be desired on a substantive level. And the question becomes, do schools have to follow in this suit? So in other words, you know, I don't even know if some schools celebrate or acknowledge Juneteenth other than, you know, it's during the summer. Most schools have already let out. And so it's like, is a Monday off? Is nothing we could do really, really do about it because we're not in school. And so most schools, it just flies under their radar or over their radar and it becomes nothing. And so it is not even symbolic. It's not even mentioned at all. But the thing is, like schools don't have to follow that suit. The question then becomes, how can a school start to take up what Juneteenth really represents, what it means and how can they begin to do it in some very substantive ways. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Three very practical ways in which schools can celebrate um, Juneteenth in some very substantive ways. Okay, to begin, I want to start sharing just a few ideas about, you know, what are some things you can start to do in your school, in your district to celebrate Juneteenth year round. And so this first one is to confront anti-black racism every day it is to confront anti-black racism every day it is it is the the racism that is targeted specifically at black youth at black adults at black people and the thing is like the announcement of juneteenth may have happened in one day however the effects were supposed to be lived out and experienced by black people every day and because of that we have to now every day go and interrupt um, anti-black racism and the truth is you know just because we have a holiday of Juneteenth that is celebrated as a federal holiday, it doesn't 
change the substantive structural reality that black youth are still significantly overrepresented for special education. It doesn't change the structural substantive reality uh, that black girls have the fastest growing suspension rate of all student groups over the last decade. It doesn't change the fact um, that black girls and, and black uh youth are being pushed out of schools at extremely alarming rates. And so, again, while we're super excited and happy about the the symbolism that Juneteenth as a holiday brings and the commemoration that it elicits, uh, there are some substantive things that have to be addressed. And what I'm saying here, the very first thing is to confront anti-black racism every day. So here's a a question that may emerge then to make this super practical. Where are some places where anti-black racism may show up in schools here are a number of places it can show up it can show up in discipline right it can show up in the disparate ways that black folks and black youth are impacted by discipline um it can show up in curriculum and curriculum being racist and anti-black um is one profound way that it can show up every day and oftentimes that curriculum is taken for granted it's not questioned it becomes like the core it becomes like the main type of curriculum but it can show up there um it can also show up in the 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 logics and the framing that people have around black youth and how, you know, we, we think they should behave, what we think they should do, or we think they are able to comprehend or do intellectually. Um, it can also show up in the policies that we have, right, in, in schools or in district. And so this is why it's super important to not only examine your policies, but then thinking about how do you co-create and design new policies that are equitable particularly with black families and with black youth. And so these are some of the places in which it can show up. And so we first have to know some of the places where it can show up so that we can now go to work to start to confront this every day. And what I mean by confronting it and interrupting it, I mean, it's like you are literally head on addressing the dynamics of anti-black racism as it shows up. Um, And so there are a number of ways in which you can do this. So um, one way I think you can confront is, is directly calling out taken for granted conversations and decisions that frame black children as less than it is it is to 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 confront it is to explicitly explicitly excuse me interrupt the taken for granted conversations and the decisions that have a, a negative impact on black youth right um or it frames them as uh, less than right so this could be conversations that can this can be um, instructional decisions that have low expectations for black um, youth because the school doesn't think that they can handle it right so it is it is confronting that but also offering alternative modes of instruction right that that may work so it is it is being super specific about that it is also uh, I mentioned this just a second ago it is intervening on policies that have a disparate impact on black students you know Again, for example, it may be some exclusionary discipline policies or even dress policies that normalize like white appearance, white hairstyles, white dress. Um, And it could be also the non-written policies that prevail, like the cultural norms. So what I'm saying by confronting it every day, when you see a practice or a policy or a system or a process that is having a disparate impact on black youth, you confront it. You say something. You offer an alternative solution. You question it. You critique it. Um, you 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 confront it, <laughs> right? At some point, there has to be a confrontation with it. And so that is one way in which you can celebrate Juneteenth year-round is by confronting anti-Black racism every day and in every way that it shows up in a school room.
Another way that your school and district can begin to celebrate Juneteenth year round is number two is is by stop practicing white supremacy. The second way is is to stop practicing white supremacy. And, and I want to first kind of do some context with this before I go into the specifics. Um, you know, so a question that I, that I get pretty frequently from people is uh, they say something like, well, well, should my school be focused on racial justice since we don't have any black students or we only have a, a few black students um, in our school or in our district? And my response is always to them. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent for sure. And often I'm, I'm the reality is I think that the work in some instances applies even more to schools with these dynamics. And, and let me tell you why it applies for a couple of reasons. One, when there are only a few black students in, in a school, their racial experiences can be even more pronounced and even more saliently, more salient. But the second thing is just because your school doesn't have a lot of black students or students who have been racially minoritized, it doesn't mean that white supremacy is not at place at play. So I guess in other words, what I'm trying to say is like your school can be fully absent of black students, but yet be fully present of white supremacy. <laughs> and so to, to be clear, what do I mean when I talk about white supremacy? So, because I think the traditional norms around white supremacy is that is like an extremist group, or it's just like KKK or it's um, these just, just ultra extreme forms of, of, of racism um, and whiteness on display. And while it can include that, it can be, it, that is inclusive of that. It can be part of that. When I think of white supremacy, I, I think of something inclusive of that, but I think about something slightly differently. So when I, when I think about um, white supremacy, I'm thinking about a social system, right? I'm thinking about a social system that operates to do a couple things. Number one, it organized human beings into groups that we call racist, R-A-C-E-S, right? So in other words, it 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 divides and it sifts human beings into categories, these social political constructed categories called racist. And then not only does that social system do that, it arranges them into a relational hierarchy where the white race is in power, right? And so that's what white supremacy does. And not only is there the distribution of power that is skewed disproportionately towards whites, is also resources, is also what is considered normal. It's also what is considered the standard, is also what is considered uh, the, the central, right? And so that's what I think about when I think about white supremacy. I'm thinking about the social structures, these social systems that create races, but also distributes intelligence, uh, resources, power, um, intellect disproportionately towards whites. And that becomes normalized as the standard. And anything that doesn't fit up to that is now a deviation. Now, what I want to be clear about is that I did not say white people, because this is interesting. The reality is that you don't have to be white to uphold white supremacy. Um, you can uphold it if you are not white, right? And so part of what I'm saying here is that the school will then stop practicing uh, uh, white supremacy. And so if, if a school stops practicing white supremacy, how might they do that? What might, what might that look like? So a couple of things here. 
one of the things that white supremacy holds up is that there is a, a right to have comfort, right? That there's a, a, a right to be protected and a right to be comfortable, comfortable. And those with institutional power, they are able to maintain like this emotional, psychological and racial s- safety. And this often plays out in not wanting to engage in bold racial justice work so they can preserve the racial status quo and people's feelings and racial equilibrium. So when I say stop practicing white supremacy, it means that you do what's antithetical to that last statement I just said. So in other words, you take bold racial justice actions. Um, You are intentionally upsetting and undermining and puncturing the racial status quo. You are allowing people to continue to have racial disequilibrium because you are no longer trying to protect the right towards comfort because comfort is not the goal perfection is not the goal our aim that we're working towards is justice racial justice right another way to stop practicing uh white supremacy in schools is to is to move beyond thinking that there's only one right way to do things so this may include thinking that there's only one right way to behave. There's only one right way to express intelligence. There's only one right way to express express genius. There's only one right way to express emotions. There's only one right way to learn. There's only one right way for families and caregivers to engage with the school. These factors often sh- are shaped by uh, white middle-class norms, ways of doing and ways of being. And if students and families, young folks, don't fit into these pre um, prescribed boxes and they don't subscribe to them, then they're considered deviant and substandard. Therefore, the school wants to celebrate Juneteenth more substantively in year round, then they must let go of white supremacy. They must let go of the one right way in which things have to be done in the school. They must let go of trying to protect racial comfort that particularly almost always is skewed towards making sure that white people have um, emotional and philosophical and psychological safety and they never move into like this racially brave space right and so that's one of the ways two of the ways several of the ways that schools can stop practicing white supremacy which will allow space for this notion of Juneteenth this notion of liberation this notion of freedom um, to have greater expression in our schools Another way that schools can practice Juneteenth year round is to repurpose budgets for racial justice. It is to repurpose budgets for racial justice and racial justice work. We are constantly asked and it's, we must continue to ask questions like have black youths lived experiences improve educationally, emotionally, physically and materially in schools and in districts, you know, where you work, where you are, are practicing as an administrator, or as a teacher, as a paraprofessional, or as your your children or, or, or young people attend the school. Paying attention particularly to the question around the material well-being is super important because as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. often used to say, um, the, the, the material parts, particularly budgets, they're moral documents, right? So you think about budgets as being like working towards 
trying to make a material change and shift. Well, one of the things about a budget, Dr. King had always said, is that a budget is a moral document. So in other words, where a school district allocates their budget can tell you a lot about what and who they truly value, regardless of what they say. (laughs) So in other words, you can hear districts talk about Oh, we're we are uh, in service of of racial justice and we're we're advocates of it, but they don't put any long term budgetary dollars towards that work. No long term resources towards that work. And when I'm talking about budgets, I'm not just talking about fiscally. I'm talking about how do you budget your time? And that's the thing. Like it's like it's, it's like schools and districts want this overnight. I don't know what you call it, but the, my homie, Dr. Rihanna Anderson says the best. We want, uh, you know, four minute solutions to 400 year problems. And like, have you budgeted the time? Like, have you repur- repurposed the time to make sure that this is something that you, you we are really giving full attention to? Um, and so the thing here is about investments in divestments. So to be clear, a way to celebrate Juneteenth more substantially year round will be for a school to reallocate fiscal resources away from things that are detrimental to black youth. For example, this may be some whitewash curriculum. It may be some program that's implemented that reinforces racial inequity. It may even be blatantly, explicitly racist personnel. So instead, schools could repurpose those funds and invest in school counselors and in social workers and after school programs and school based health centers and arts. Um, and, and so th- this might also include time for staff to more deeply root their collective practice in racial justice. This is just naming a few things. And so by investing in these types of efforts and this type of work, schools should use their permanent funds, not the temporary ones, <laughs> which can be here today and gone tomorrow. They should use these permanent funds to invest in the things that are going to be beneficial for black youth. So I said, well, why just black youth? Well, I think Fannie Lou Hamer said it best. You know, when you do what's best for black folks, we all benefit. And so in the same vein, another way that a school district can redistribute their budgets is to invest in educational reparations Um, because there's some good work by Dr. Keanu Ross and some other folks across the country about like, what does this look like? How do you start to go and repair? How do you move beyond just a a symbolic apology, but really try to repair what Dr. Gloria Lyson Billings calls the education debt um, that we have in not only in the the U.S., but globally uh, where, where black folks are concerned. And so those are a few things you can think about in reallocating resources, particularly your budget. And finally, I want to just leave you with a few uh, critical questions as I close. So again, just acknowledging and talking about Juneteenth once a year is not enough to achieve the substantive racial justice for black youth in schools that we are pursuing and moving towards. This means that our collective work must move beyond just acknowledgments and celebrations and gestures of symbolism. We have to move our work towards redistributing power, redistributing opportunities, redistributing resources, and Although some of the things that I've shared are not exhaustive, um, it is a place where we can start. These are ideas to start. You know, 
all you need to do is have a starter idea. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You ain't got to have a whole plan and everything figured out. If you could just get going as you get going, the things you need will begin to emerge. And so here are a few critical questions for you and the people in your school and your district to discuss. There are three questions I want to share with you. Number one, how and in what ways does anti-black racism show up in our school? The second part of this question is, what are some of the ways that we might collectively anticipate it and confront it before it shows up? And how might we restore people after that's happened? So that's the first question, which has several parts to it. I'll read it again. How and in what ways does anti-black racism show up in our school? What are some of the ways that we can collectively anticipate it and confront it before it shows up? And how might we restore people um, after it's happened? The second question is, if we were honest, what are some of the ways that white supremacy shows up in our school and in our work? The second part of this question is, in those places where white supremacy shows up, how might we practice racial justice instead? And trying to talk about that in detail. Then finally, the third question is, how might we redistribute our budget to invest in the things that contribute to black youth and adults thriving in our school and or district? And the third question is, how might we redistribute our budgets to invest in that which contributes to black youth and adults thriving in our schools and or our districts? I hope you got something out this. I hope you found it helpful thinking about how we move from symbolism to substance and moving from symbolism to substance requires us to take some important actions and to take those actions very consistently and constantly. And so. Just as a recap, uh, number one is to confront anti-black racism every day in schools. Number two is to stop practicing white supremacy. And then number three is to repurpose your budgets. Hope you got something out of this. In the words of my boy, old Marty Moss, see you when I show you a purse. Well, that is it, folks. Thank you so much for joining. I hope you enjoyed it. And I am so excited and really looking forward to our time together during future podcasts. What I need you to do is to please hit the subscribe button, share with a friend, and please leave a review. Love reviews. And if you want to hear more from me, you can head on over to www.raciallyjustschools.com. That is www.raciallyjustschools.com. When you join our community, I have a free video for you on three tips that will make your racial justice work better. And again, if you love the show, hit subscribe rate it and leave a review on itunes and until next time peace